And this morning, we want to think about how it is that we tap in to the power of Christ, the power of the Spirit. And as I was thinking about this, uh, that this week in my study, um, I was thinking about real power. What's, what's really powerful? And um, if, uh, you know, we think about some of the things in our world that sort of we call powerful, we have recently, of course, we have the power of the crowd, the power of the masses, right? With um, demonstrations and some of the, some of the um, protests that have gone on, we see power in the masses. And that power in the masses confronts other power, right? We think of the power of law enforcement and the power of the police. Um, um, and then, of course, in all of that, there's exhibited political power, right? We have Washington, we have Sacramento, we have other um, leadership places where the political power is made manifest in us. But are those the most powerful things in our world? If we think about, you know, the, the um, other powerful things, I mean, no matter who a politician is, um, if uh, he were to try to, uh, no matter how powerful a politician was, if he were to travel uh, out into space, um, and, and try to go towards the sun, he would eventually get burned up because the sun is the super duper powerful thing. Like it's a nuclear explosion all the time. We think about also other kinds of power, the power of love, right? Love is perhaps one of the most powerful things that we know in our world. What is real power? How do we think about the power that we know in our lives. That's what we want to spend some time exploring this morning. And to do that, we're going to spend time in Acts chapter 5, verses 17 through 42, if you would turn in your Bibles there. And as we dig into God's word, we ask for his blessing and his presence on our time. Would you join me in prayer? Father, be present with us today. Speak to our hearts and our minds today. Praying, Lord, in Jesus' name, that I can disappear. You might appear to us. And the words that are spoken are yours. They speak to our hearts and our minds. And, Lord, in your speaking, that there's transformation that can come. Transformation, Lord, to make us new. To, Lord, equip us to tap into the power that you want for your people. Power to be transformed in our minds, but also a power, Lord, to transform the world around us. This is work that you and you alone can do through the power of your spirit. We pray you do it today. In Jesus' name, amen. Acts chapter 5, beginning at verse 17. We're going to read um, verse 17 through 21, the first part of 21, together to begin. It says this there. Then the high priest and all his associates, who were members of the party of the Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. During the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people all about this new life. At daybreak, they entered the temple courts, as they had been told, and began to teach the people. As we begin the passage this morning, we're seeing power exhibited, aren't we? We're seeing this group of people called the Sadducees um, sort of exhibit what it is that they can do. And they have the power to imprison the apostles, to imprison um, the, the, these disciples who are doing what it is that God calls them to do. And they think that power is sufficient. 
But the problem is, is they're exhibiting their power, right, out of a wrong motivation. We see right at the beginning. Then the high priest and all his associates, who were members of the party of the Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. So these are people who are seeing other power made manifest in the apostles. And they're saying, wait, that power is something that we sort of want. Or we wish we had that sort of identity among the people. That the people were hearing and listening to our message and following their message. Because we know, as we've read the first five chapters of the book of Acts, that this word has gone out, the message has gone out, and people are being changed. And in that change that the Sadducees are seeing, they're saying, wait. Why aren't they listening to us anymore? Where has our power gone? And the beauty of it is in this passage, or right in this section, we see already at the beginning that the power that is the Sadducees have is being confronted almost immediately, right? With the power of the Holy Spirit. And this Holy Spirit has power to break the exact power that the Sadducees had shown. They put the apostles into jail. The Spirit releases them. Exact opposite and even more so. Because it just throws open the doors of the jails. And the apostles are free. We're seeing here in the book of Acts, especially in this passage, highlights it. That God, through the Holy Spirit in this new and different world, with Christ having ascended and poured out his spirit on, on the apostles, we're seeing a confrontation of power. It's a power struggle. We know all about power struggles in our world, don't we? And since we do, how do we, like the apostles, live into that power struggle in a way which honors God and allows us and equips us to live into the power given to us by the Spirit? Let's continue the passage, verse 21 through 32. When the high priest and his associates arrived, they called together the Sanhedrin, the full assembly of the elders of Israel, and sent to jail for the apostles. But on arriving at the jail, the officers did not find them there. So they went back and reported, We found the jail securely locked, with the guards standing at the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. On hearing this report, the captain of the temple, temple guard, and the chief priests were at a loss, wondering what this might lead to. And someone came and said, Look, the men you put in jail are standing in the temple courts teaching the people. At that, the captain went with his officers and brought the apostles. They did not use force because they feared that the people would stone them. The apostles were brought in and made to appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, he said. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Peter and the other apostles replied, We must obey God rather than human beings. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on the cross. God exalted him to, the, to his own right hand as prince and savior that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey them. Can you see the power struggle? The religious leaders, these Sadducees, 
saying to the apostles, don't do this. Don't teach in this name. And it's interesting that they bring up the name, isn't it? And as we think about them being forbidden to teach in the name, for us to consider that for ourselves and how it is that we then live, for us to understand that the name of Jesus carries power. It's one of those things that even gives us our identity, right? We are called, those who know Jesus are called Christians. There's power in the name of Christ and for us to then exhibit and live into that powerful name of Jesus. It's one of the things, friends, why we can live following Jesus as good examples in our world. And that's powerful. That, that's something that does surely care, carry a great testimony for us. But we need to speak the name. We need to teach you the name. We need to carry that name on our lips, right at the front of our mouths, and be able to speak of Jesus. And I know that that's fearful. Uh, that's something that we're fearful of sometimes, isn't it? Right? We go into our workplace. And we want people to know that we are people of faith, but sometimes it's harder for us to speak of where our faith comes from. But here we see the disciples speaking in the name because the name itself has power. Do not be afraid to speak the name Jesus. Yes, in this culture, in this world that we live in, that can be hard sometimes. But again, it's a power struggle. And if we don't grab onto that weapon, that powerful weapon, that tool that God has given us and equipped us with to fight in the battle, the name of Jesus, we're missing the power. Now, what's interesting here is... Um, Boy, this microphone is not my favorite thing in the whole world. It definitely limits me. One of the things that, that's interesting here is we see the apostles do something that, that sometimes give me a lot of pause. And I have questions about it. Maybe you do too. You ever heard somebody say this to you? God told me. God told me to do this. You ever had someone say that to you? You know what I'm talking about? God told me to do this. I don't know about you, but when I hear somebody say that, it gives me great pause. I'm fearful of that. And I'll tell you why. Let me give you the best example that I can possibly think of. Um, maybe you've, you, you know of um, health and wealth, sort of prosperity gospel pastors out there who say that um, if you have faith, more faith, God will pour out his richest blessing, richest blessing on you. And that richest blessing that they're always talking about seems to be always about money. So they're always asking for money. You know, those sorts of people. I heard of one of those folks um, in the South who said that God had told him to buy a private jet. I think it was somewhere in the neighborhood of like $10 million. I don't think God told him that. And what was interesting is that he not only bought the private jet, he actually said that God told him to buy a backup private jet. So he didn't just have one private jet, he has two private jets because God told him. 
Now we hear the apostles say here, God told us to speak in the name. And I think that sometimes we as Christians think, okay, if I live into and I sort of get a sense about something in my life, then I hear that's God speaking to me. But I want us to understand, that's what we're going to do in a moment, is dig into what it is that the apostles did because they heard God speak to them. And it's not to go and do something selfish or something that equips us in the ways that we want. It's not a private jet. God doesn't call us to get things like that. God can pour out those sorts of blessings. But that, that's not God's voice oftentimes that we're listening to when we live into selfishness. The apostles show us how to live into the great power and the leadership of Christ. But they do it in some specific ways. That's what we're going to dig into. Verses 33 through 39 says this. When they heard this, they were furious and wanted to put them to death. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law who was honored by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered that the men be put outside for a little while. Then he addressed the Sanhedrin, men of Israel. Consider carefully what you intend to do to these men. Some time ago, Theudius appeared, claiming to be somebody, and about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed, all his followers were dispersed, and it came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean appeared in the days of the census and, a band, and led a band of people in revolt. He too was killed and all his followers were scattered. Therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. Let them go. For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. Here we see Gamaliel. And Gamaliel's an interesting guy. Does anybody know who his famous student is? Who was Gamaliel's famous student? Paul. Gamaliel is Paul's teacher. In fact, we see that near the end of Acts. I think it's Acts chapter 22. When, Peter's, or when Paul's giving his speech, he talks about Gamaliel. This is a guy with position. But what's interesting is he, when he thinks of what the disciples are doing what the apostles are doing, he steps back a moment. He steps back a moment and he says to everyone who is present, don't do this. Don't punish these men. Don't hinder them from speaking in this name. Because if you do and you're wrong, you are stepping in front of God's will, God's plan, God's purpose. And even if they're wrong and this name doesn't have power, it will come to nothing. Ultimately, what Gamaliel is doing is showing us what it is that the apostle's obedience is doing. He's, he's showing us that in the apostle's obedience to the Spirit, that they are putting in place, that they are getting moving God's will, if it is God's will, it's going to flourish. And if it's not God's will, then it's going to come to nothing. 
And, and Gamaliel recognizes something in the apostles. And what's interesting, we don't know much about Gamaliel except for these two passages, Acts chapter 5 and Acts 22. But what we're seeing is the spirit begin to wear down the heart of Gamaliel. It's very possible, in fact, there's some conjecture um, that Gamaliel became a follower of Jesus. Um, historically, even, I think it's the Orthodox Church, I don't know if it's the Catholic Church, but the Orthodox Church recognizes him as a saint, part of the family of God. Gamaliel is recognizing the movement of the spirit in the apostles and he's saying to everyone else there, don't get in the way of God's will. And if it's not God's will, it's going to come to nothing. And for us to then understand this and learn from this, when God speaks to us and we exercise and live into what we believe God's will is, if it flourishes, then it is something that God has called us to. But if it doesn't, then it's not his will. And I know that sounds weird. If it works, it's if it works, it's God's will. If it doesn't work, it's not God's will. But sometimes it's something that we have to learn and we have to grow into. But even more than that, what is it that the apostles are doing in their obedience to God's will? Let's notice this. Here's, here's what happens next. Verse uh, 40 to the end of the passage. His speech persuaded him. They called the apostles in and had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. Their next step, their exercising of God's power and God's will in their life always points others to Jesus. If you and I want to understand God's powerful will in our lives, it's always, always, always about pointing people to Jesus. It's not about pointing people to ourselves. It's not about living selfishly. It's not about getting stuff for us, getting position, getting recognition. That's something that I think all of us need to wonder about when we think, okay, I'm living into what God's will for my life is. Is God's will for your life something that gives recognition to you or gives recognition to him? Does it give him glory or does it give you glory? One of the challenges sometimes with being a pastor is your life is sometimes a little bit more public. Some of the things that I do and some of the things that I live into, one of the th I have to constantly ask myself, am I doing this for Scott and my position or am I doing this to honor God and his will and his plan for my life? That's a question all of us should be asking. That's what the disciples do. That's what this passage is. They, the power that they're living into is the power to proclaim Jesus, not the power of selfishness, not the power of money, of all those political power or the, the power of the crowd that we were talking about at the beginning. Not any other kind of power, but a power to be able to point to the name of Jesus. And as we point, as we live into that power, then we experience the greatest power that this world can ever know. And that's one of the things that is hard in this world, isn't it? Does 
anybody know what God's will is with how we go through all this COVID stuff? Does anyone know how this is supposed to go? Good luck, right? It's going to change tomorrow. Anyone know how we're supposed to do things with Black Lives Matter and, de you know, the request to defund the police, all the other sorts of things? Does anybody know how that's supposed to go? It's hard, right? It's complicated. Does anybody know how this political cycle is supposed to go with the election coming up in November? Does anybody know how that's supposed to happen? Trying to figure out God's will is hard. Trying to figure out what God's plan is is hard, and especially because of this. I don't know if you've ever heard of the 12-hour reset. Has anyone ever heard that, the idea of us living in a 12-hour reset? Basically, what it means is this. If you check into a news cycle or look on your Facebook or look on Yahoo or look on CNN or Fox News or anything, 12 hours later, it's a whole new sort of set of stories, right? Every 12 hours, we're in a reset, and what you hear in the morning can be very different than what you hear at night. How are we supposed to navigate God's will? How are we supposed to live into all these things? If every 12 hours, it seems like everything gets changes, and we have such amnesia as a culture of some of the things that goes on, how are we supposed to live into God's will? How are we supposed to know what to do next? Point to Jesus. Point to Jesus. That's what we can do. Maybe you're a person like myself right now who you sometimes just feel like, I don't even know what to do. I don't know what to do with this world sometimes. I don't even know what to say. I don't know what to say sometimes about, about race. I don't know what to say sometimes about politics. I don't know how to do that. But I know Jesus. And I can point the world, I can point you, and point my family, can point my neighbor, can point my coworkers, can point anyone that I come in contact with to Jesus. And here's the beautiful part. Speaking and proclaiming the name of Jesus taps us all into that power that threw the jail doors open. That's that power. The same power when we don't know what to do, don't know how to live, don't know what's going to happen next. If we're speaking and living into the name of Jesus, we're tapping into that power that opens jail doors. And even greater, opens grave doors. That power is something then that God will use to transform our world. I can't fix Washington. I can't fix the race issue. I can't fix any of these big, I can't fix COVID. But I can change my neighborhood. I can talk to my neighbor. I can change my family. I can be a part of that little thing that God gives me in my neighborhood to be a person who shows love and speaks the name of Jesus. And in that trusting that God, in transforming the two or three, four houses around me, God might change another neighborhood. And maybe then he can change a city. If he can change a city, he can change a county. If he can change a county, he can change a country. Change a country, he can change the world. Tapping into that power of Jesus. 
friends, don't be afraid to speak it. One of the one of the beautiful things about the challenge that we live in right now is people are more open. They're more open to speak of faith because there's so many questions in our world. And people are looking for some sort of answer. And friends, we have it. We are more equipped as people who follow Jesus to live into this crazy broken world that we live in than anything else. There's nothing else that is equipped in the way that the church is. The apostles lived into a crazy world and they changed it. Through the church, they changed the known world. Change that continues until this day. And we can be a part of that. As we tap into and speak that powerful name of Jesus. That's what we do when we come to the table. When we come to the table, this is a proclamation. This is a shout to the world around us. This is Jesus. This is Jesus. In fact, I think I've, I've told you before that this was one of the activities that in the early church got them persecuted. Doing this. Because people didn't understand this. They didn't understand that bread represented the body of Christ. That juice represented the blood of Christ. And that in doing so, we were participating with the spiritual presence of God among us. That was confusing to the culture, and they wanted it to stop. They wanted it to stop. The world wants to stop us from doing this. That's one of the reasons why we're doing it. We're doing it because this is something that says we are different than the world around us. We know the presence of Jesus. We know that in the broken body and the shed blood of Christ, that there is power, power to change us and power to change the world around us. And we're going to do this this morning as a great shout to the world. Here's Jesus. You want him? He's at the table. He's here present with us as we experience this gift that he called us to participate in as a church. We experience his power here. Let's pray together. You equip us with power. You equip us with your presence. You equip us with the body and blood of Jesus transforms our life, our lives, and changes the world. We thank you, Father, for that gift. Lord, now as we have received it, we pray that we can live into that power in the world around us, trusting that through the transformation of one, maybe a neighbor's life, maybe it's a family member's life, maybe it's a co-worker's life, that Lord, as you equip us to be a part of that transformation in that person's life, the world has changed. We can be people who constantly point the way to you, that we can be people when we talk about knowing it, God's will, it is always about pointing the world to who you are. Not for our own gain, but for yours. To see your kingdom grow and the world might be transformed. Father, equip us with that power today. Pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen.